Welcome to Lawyers Living Well, a production of the State Bar of Georgia's Attorney Wellness Committee and the Lawyers Assistance Program. Lawyers, this is your resource for all things wellness. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Lawyers Living Well podcast. I'm Lynn Garson, Chair of the Lawyers Assistance Program of the State Bar of Georgia, and today I am so pleased to welcome Georgia Supreme Court Chief Justice David Namias, who coincidentally happens to share my birthday, which normally would be a good thing, but our joint birthday is 9-11, so not necessarily such a good thing, but it is still our birthday. Chief Justice, you've been a prosecutor, the U.S. Attorney for the Northern District of Georgia, and now Chief Justice of the Georgia Supreme Court, and that's only skimming the surface. I'd like to ask you a few questions drawing on the insights you've gained through these different roles, particularly as those insights relate to wellness, which is our topic of the day. Um, So first, I read about you. I told you I don't know a lot about you, so I went online and read. And from what I read, part of the reason for your decision to step down in July is to spend more time with your family, including your fiance and children. And I thought to myself, well, that sounds suspiciously like wellness. Um, And we don't hear that all the time. So can you please tell us more about that? So I am uh, resigning from the court effective July 17th at the end of the court's term. uh, And There were a number of reasons behind that, uh, but this would have been an election year for me and I would have had to commit to serving a number of years into the future, uh, as many as six for the next term. And uh, I am getting remarried. I lost my uh, first wife to cancer about four years ago, um, but fortunate to find someone else uh, to love and and be with. And we're getting married in July. I have a younger son who's got two more years in high school. My older son is about to graduate from high school and go to Duke where he's going to be a football player. And so I get a lot of enjoyment out of watching him play football, which requires me to now go on the road 12 weekends a year. And I wanted to spend more time with my younger son before he leaves the house and spend more time with my spouse. So that was a big factor. all of that in in my decision to step down. I guess that is wellness. I mean, I, you know, I don't always use that word thinking about it, but I certainly was trying to think about uh, where I was and what I wanted to do in the future. I'm fortunate enough to be able to make some of those decisions with some financial security and some career security and some family security. So, you know, probably much easier decisions for me than for a lot of people faced with similar choices. Um, and I'm not sure you know, what my decision would have been 10 or 20 years ago um, in a different place in life. Even to say that, though, to be quoted as that being your reason, I think is really important and sends a message uh, instead of saying, well, you know, I didn't want to run again or, or whatever, you know, this sends a very clear message that you made a choice about your life and it was about quality of life. And I think that's something a lot of attorneys overlook or, or put to the side. And I'm really glad to hear you say it. 
Well, thanks. I've actually heard that from a surprising number of people, including a surprising number of you know fairly successful lawyers, you know, who've said, "Gee, you know, you were kind of giving up being Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the state to to focus on your family and your own um, next interests," and uh, that saying that you know they they needed to think about whether they were at a place in life where they should reconsider what they're doing and, and try to figure out what the right balance was. And again, you know, I, all these decisions are intensely personal and really depend on a lot of things going on in anyone's life at the particular time they're considering them. Yeah, granted, great message, though, great role model. Uh, and like I said, you don't really hear that all the time especially from somebody of your stature. So it's very nice to hear that. So shifting gears, this is a question. I'm interested in your answer. I'm interested in all of your answers, but this is something I'm curious about. So I asked Judge Shub when I interviewed her the following question. I was fascinated by her response. Um, it was a little counterintuitive to me for unusual reasons. Uh, I'd like your thoughts on it as well. Have you ever faced an impaired attorney in your office? And if so, what did you do? In such a case, what are your recommendations in the moment and also as follow-up to others who are in that situation? So I have in, in leadership roles had attorneys um, who were employees have significant wellness issues, either substance abuse or mental illness issues. And it's it's tricky when you're in a place like the Supreme Court or the U.S. Attorney's Office, or frankly, if you're a judge in any setting, and for a lot of employers, because you have kind of a dual responsibility. One is to protect your institution and the people you serve, largely the public in the positions I've had. Um, and on the other hand, you want to try to be compassionate and help somebody uh, and understand that usually, well, when it comes to mental illness or substance abuse, it's it's not you know something they usually have chosen to take upon themselves, and it's a it's a difficult problem that they're trying to deal with. And so, you know, what what we've done when it's happened first, I haven't tried to make the decision alone. I've I've involved our HR experts and at least one other person in leadership, so we kind of get, you know, additional insights on what we should do. Um, that's a good thing, particularly if if the employee or the attorney has done something that makes you somewhat unhappy, like, you know, show up for work impaired or do something that is uh, potentially damaged a case or uh, the potentially the reputation of an office. And so it's good to have people to remind you that, uh, you know, that we need to figure out how to solve the problem and not just kind of react, um, which is often the instinct of a lot of people when their employees or, or attorneys do things that are unprofessional. And so, you know, what we've done is, is kind of twofold. You know, it's kind of carrot and stick. It, it is, you cannot continue doing what you're doing because it is placing at risk the office and the reputation of the office and potentially the people we serve, but also we understand that you need help and we are fully willing to try to help you. We will go assist you if you need to find uh, resources. And sometimes that's, you know, I know in, in situations we've sent people to talk to 
um, the lawyer assistance program, but you know, we had one instance where we helped someone find a, a rehabilitation facility, um, work with that person's family to make sure you know that that they were going to do it. It's it's a little bit like an accountability court model that we use a lot in various parts of the court system. It's you know we want to help you. Uh, we'll help you find the resources, but you've got to actually do it. And if you don't do it, we cannot have you as an employee anymore because if you're an untreated person that we know about, now you're putting us at risk. And so, and and it is, and I've, I've dealt with enough people, including in my own family, who've had, you know, issues, you know, I recognize how hard it is and how Many times it is unsuccessful, at least in the first stages. The most recent situation we have, I've been, you know, just absolutely delighted that it seems to have worked out very well. And, you know, we kept a an extraordinary employee, and it looks like that employee has been able to get some help for a serious problem. So it's very complicated. I encourage people to not do it themselves, to make sure that you have people who are familiar with both the, the kind of treatment issues and also the legal issues involved if you're an employer. You know, it, I said that I was fascinated by Judge Shub's response, and yours is very similar. For me, she said the same thing, carrot and the stick. You know, you've got to say you can't appear in her case in my courtroom like this. You know, you've got to go get help or I'm going to have to take some other action. And for me, the way I went through with my mental illness, it was very volitional. And I was always looking for help. And it was just very hard to get the help that worked. And it took many, many years. Uh, but I talked. So, so to me, that took away agency to say that. And it, it upset me actually. And I talked to a number of people about it and a number of people who are in recovery, uh, not necessarily on the mental health side, you know, in recovery from substance use. And to a person, they said that, that what you said and what she said is what you have to do. You have to do it that way. You have to give a, you know, the, the stick, you know, you have to say, I'm going to do something to you if you don't go and get help because the disease is so strong that the disease will just keep doing what it wants to do. So, you know, very different from my experience, but I think that's the general experience and that you and Judge Schuber spot on, um, you know. Well, and I've, I've talked to, you know, our next Chief Justice, current presiding Justice Michael Boggs, who was one of the um, first judges when he was a Superior Court judge to set up a drug uh, court, largely kind of all on his own, and then later was the co-chair of the Criminal Justice Reform Commissions that Governor Deal had, and is recognized kind of nationally as an expert in um, behavioral health issues in courts. And, you know, he had exactly that experience when he was running a drug court that uh, people he, and the reason he set it up, people he had seen in the criminal justice system, you know, if if you prosecuted them, got them convicted and just told them, you know, when you get out, go get help, that just wasn't enough. And and even with the stick of criminal prosecution or or in an employment context being fired, I think we need to realize in many cases, these diseases are so strong that, you know, people are going to fall off the wagon, are going to, you know, have issues, you know, at some point, you got to decide how, how many times you can afford to 
um, allow that, but um, but it is very important to not just you know ask people to go get help. Um, I think anyone who just does that is is not realizing how how as you said how strong these these other motivations are. Yeah, that was a, a real learning experience for me, and I'm fully on board now. I just didn't really understand it because addiction is a smaller piece with me than mental illness, and you know I just didn't have the same experience. So here's a question of the moment. We seem to be on the verge of a full return to pre-pandemic work, you know, in person, in firms, at courts, everywhere. What worries you the most about that full tilt return to work when it happens, which I think for many people it's already happened, whether in the judiciary, solo practice, big firm government, wherever, what stresses do you foresee? Because I see and hear from a lot of people that people are already doing poorly. This transition has not gone as well as I think many people thought, oh, we're going to go back to work. It's all going to be great. What are you seeing and hearing and what do you think about it? You know, I think the, re the real heart of it is it's a change. Change is stressful. It's interesting. I've got a son who's about to go to college and just heard a, they brought into the school a psychologist to talk to the parents about, you know, the stresses on both children and parents when they go to college and how you have to be alert to mental health issues and substance abuse issues, both for the parents and the children. And that brought home the fact that, you know, any change is, is stressful, even if it's a change you think is for the good. Um, and I think that's what's going on now is we were kind of wrenched quickly into a pandemic life um, with a lot of people working from home, dealing with all kinds of, of business issues and family issues and school issues. And now we're a little bit more gradually going in the other direction. Um, and that's stressful. I mean, for people, I got very used to not having to commute in the evening and being able to take a walk with my fiance, which I actually found was an enormous wellness boost. And now it's harder because if I do it, I'm getting home later and it's um, now at least it's getting a little light out. But when I couldn't do it, I felt the stress of, of not having that outlet. You know, commuting is a big stressor for a lot of people, especially in Metro Atlanta and dealing with issues. You know, if you've been home with your kids, that was a stressor sometimes when the kids weren't in school. But it's also a stressor to now figure out childcare and figure out how to get your kids to school and get them picked up. I think we just have to realize that any change like this is stress. It's even more stressful because we're not going back to exactly where we were. So it's not a return to the old normal. We've got all these new normals of uh, how offices are working, how often people are in, how schools are working, how travel is working for lawyers. And so it's, it's not like you know exactly what you're going back to because it's changed. And so I don't know that there's a solution to it. I think it, it is difficult on people because change is difficult. Um, and, you know, hopefully people can manage it. Um, and, you know, in general, after a little while, we tend to settle into our new routine and the stress help goes away um, once we get things settled out, but um, that's not true of everybody. And, and we have to realize it's not, it doesn't happen instantly. You know, what they were, you know, the, the advice is my first kid going to college, but you know, the advice was, you know, you're going to, 
they'll be stressful for you and your child, you know, probably for most of their first year in college um, until everyone settles into this new routine. And it's not a drop them off and you know, you, everyone cries and you feel bad. And then two days later, it's like, oh, you know, life is fine. Um, and the same is true of all these changes. And it's not just a pandemic. It's anytime people change jobs or their kids change schools or uh, you have transitions because of divorces or deaths. Um, all of those things are stressful. And you know, it is very important, and particularly for lawyers who are already stressed by the nature of our work, is important to realize that those stresses are happening and not brush them off or you know, pretend that they're not significant parts of our lives. I feel like that's the first step, awareness you know, and then acknowledgement that it's actually an issue and, and then the decision, are you going to do something about it? You know, the thing I also think about though is change. I totally agree with you. We've had two plus years of stress of the pandemic. And then if the model you're talking about is true, a year, you know, to get used to the new normal, right. whether it's your child went to college or whatever, that's three solid years of highly unusual levels of stress added for lawyers to what's already a pretty unbelievable level of stress uh, for most lawyers. So, um, you know, that's why there are wellness committees now. I think that's why people are taking this a lot more seriously. Uh, in fact, at my firm, we had a, an in-person luncheon a couple of weeks ago, and somebody had a really nice idea, which was to go around and say, what good came out of the pandemic for you? It was good. And for me, it was a very um, bittersweet good. One of the things I said, it's that before the pandemic, a lot of people did not take wellness seriously. They thought, the lawyers I'm talking about, it's just brush it to the side that we don't have to think about it. The pandemic has affected people so strongly that a lot of people who before were not willing to think along those lines are now open to ideas of you need to take care of yourself. If you need help, you need to go get it. So it's a plus. It's a strange plus, but it's a plus. Yeah, it's an awareness. And, you know, I think, you know, wellness, people, people haven't, I don't know when that word really, you know, kind of entered the lexicon for a lot of lawyers. Um, but you know, I, I think it's fairly recent that lawyers have really focused on this. I mean, the Lawyer Assistance Program, I know, has been around for a long time, but it was Robin Clark, when she was president of the bar, really focused on suicide prevention, which is obviously, a, you know, kind of a top of the line wellness concern. But, but what you're talking about is, I think, right. I mean, it's not just people who are um, potentially suicidal. It's it, it's all the lawyers who have stresses that are really causing them problems of all sorts. And um, and it, it was kind of the feeling in the legal community, I think, until pretty recently that, you know, oh, you know, we're lawyers, we deal with stress, brush it off, you know, you should move on. And people are realizing that's not a healthy thing to do. Um, and uh, I think you're right. I thought about it in exactly those terms, but the pandemic has probably made a whole lot of people realize either through their own experience or just the experience of the people close to them, lawyers and family and neighbors, that you know this is 
a, a much wider phenomenon and that you know hopefully people are realizing more and more there's no shame there's no you're not weak because you realize you need help for something yeah i've said to people and i've written this that people who have walked through some of this are the strongest and most courageous people i know those who haven't can't begin to understand what that is um you you touched on something that i want to expand on a little bit this idea a lot of people used to think the lawyers assistance program was there just for crisis if you were in crisis or you had a diagnosable condition that's what it was there for and you are a hundred percent right it's for everybody you know there are six prepaid counseling sessions every year and if you're feeling stressed that's something you're legitimately entitled to use as much as somebody who's got a diagnosable condition. So we really try to get that message out and encourage people to use it and to understand that it is completely confidential, which I prostrate myself on the floor every time I say that and beg people to believe me that we spent five years severing the pipeline between LAP, Career Assistance Program, and Discipline. And the only thing that flows is discipline loves to refer people to get help. You know, they're not in the business of wanting to take disciplinary action unless they have to. Um, Well, talking about wellness, and I think you seem to have a great attitude about it. What have you personally done in the last couple of years, which has been, as we said, so stressful to take care of yourself? I have done some things, but there are a lot of them are things that I've done for a long time now um, because I've been in particularly stressful jobs earlier in my career. Uh, right after 9-11, I was in Washington coordinating terrorism cases, and uh, we all felt a huge amount of stress at the Department of Justice, and we dealt with folks at the Department of Defense and CIA and the White House and other government agencies about uh, worrying if we missed some connection or made a wrong decision, thousands or tens or hundreds of thousands of Americans would die in another attack. And so I realized then the importance for me of of exercise, of making sure that I um, went and did something physically um, every day, even if that meant doing it late at night. Um, And and then the other big thing was making sure of keeping connections with family and friends. which is very easy to kind of set aside, especially anyone other than your very immediate family when you're working uh, super hard as a lawyer. My colleague, John Ellington, always tells lawyers there's a life outside the law, get one. And it really is critically important to uh, maintain some connections with people, preferably who aren't all lawyers um, and more extended family or older friends Um, What I found during the pandemic was uh, we needed to kind of create those opportunities because you couldn't just go visit people or go out to dinner. And so we scheduled family Zoom calls regularly, and we used to do a lot of game nights or dinners with groups of friends, and we started doing just online gatherings. We found it's harder to play games online, but that wasn't really the point. The point was more just a chance to talk about what was going on in our lives. So all of that has been um, really important for me for a long time and including during the pandemic. Um, 
And even though, you know, I'm hoping my life may be a little less stressful when I step down from the bench, uh, I'm sure I will still have stresses and those things uh, will remain important to me uh, probably forever. Thank you. You remind me at the beginning of that, that you had told me before we started this conversation about someone you had spoken to recently from the days when you were in Washington, D.C., that had now recognized issues coming from 9-11. Can you just remind me and, and tell our listeners about that? Yeah, and I'm not going to use a name because I think this is going to come out publicly and this person just talked about it semi-publicly in a meeting, but it was somebody I work with very closely in the days after 9-11, who was in a senior position. And, you know, we all felt this stress. And when this person left the department, the, the person realized that uh, they had actually been suffering from clinical depression and uh, needed to get help, which uh, the person got and, and found very beneficial. But uh, this person's going to come out and talk about it more publicly soon because, uh, you know, this is now, uh, it, I think, person realizes how important it is for higher level officials to talk about their own problems. Um, you know, one of my closest friends in the law is Sally Yates, who's been very good at, at speaking about um, suicide issues because her father, who was a judge on our Georgia Court of Appeals, um, committed suicide. And, you know, it's important to, to point out that these problems are not limited to, you know, new associates and young lawyers or other people there. Um, they can happen to anyone. Um, and probably the stresses are even greater at, at the levels, you know, the profession that people get into um, when they're successful. And so that was a big reminder to me. And Hopefully, it'll be a reminder to lawyers at every level. Um, and I repeated it recently at uh, a meeting of the Judicial Council of Georgia because I think it's important for judges to hear. We talk a lot to lawyers about use your six. And, you know, judges sometimes think they're in particularly prominent public positions and are worried about confidentiality. But uh, it is very stressful sometimes particularly to be a trial court judge um, and to deal with people coming into your courtroom, you know, with their disputes and you being on the line to make decisions. And it's important for judges to realize that they may need to get some help um, in dealing with these stresses. You know, I have to add a disclaimer. I did not set Chief Justice Namius up to say these things because they were, they're so important. You know, if I could have made you say that I would have made you say that but um, it was volitional and so so important I couldn't agree with you more that I've always or at least since I had my own experiences said these are the most democratic of issues you know they don't pick and choose so it's at every level every strata every culture you know nobody's immune uh, well, do you have any final thoughts for us? This has been a great conversation. Is there anything you'd like to add? Only that I'm glad these issues are being talked about more. I appreciate the work that you and the lawyer assistance program do. I hope people realize that the caregivers in this space, you know, they have to also be careful about uh, their stress. I, I see it a lot. I deal a lot with the foster care system, you know, judges and 
defects case managers and lawyers, when you're dealing with um, the foster care system, you are kind of every day you go to work to deal with very uh, difficult and, and trying situations with children and families. And you need to be aware that that's hard. And, um, and sometimes you take on uh, the stresses of the people you're dealing with. And so I hope everyone who works for, for LAP, uh, you know, as you deal with people, you know, you realize that, that uh, we appreciate what you do and, and we want to make sure you take care of yourselves as well, because when you're dealing with folks who have problems and are trying to deal with them and you're trying to be compassionate, that can be a stress uh, for yourself as well. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, there's an actual term called compassion fatigue. Right. Yeah. You know, that, that people talk about a lot. But this has been such a wonderful conversation. I can't thank you enough for your time. I hope you enjoy the upcoming time with your family and that you all continue to stay safe and well. The same to all of our listeners. And I hope you'll join us again for another episode of Lawyers Living Well. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Lynn Garson, Chair of the Lawyer Assistance Program. Thank you for listening to this episode of Lawyers Living Well. If you need immediate confidential help, call the LAP hotline at 1-800-327-9631. That's 1-800-327-9631. You can also visit lawyerslivingwell.org for more wellness resources through the State Bar of Georgia. That's lawyerslivingwell.org. We hope you can join us next time.